Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your spirit to pour out, Lord, I mean, to pour it out to us to make known your words to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being uh, the subject of our study this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, Genesis forty-four sixteen. Judah said, what shall I say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? How shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. And he said, God forbid that I should do so. But the man in whose hand the cup is found, he shall be my servant. And as for you, get you up in peace unto your father. Then Judah came near unto him and said, Oh, my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ear. And let not thine anger burn against thy servant, for thou art even as Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said unto my Lord, We have a brother and we have a father, an old man and a child of his old age, a little one, and his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother, and his father loveth him. Thou saidest unto thy servants, Bring him down unto me, that I may set mine eyes upon him. We said unto my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for he should leave his father, or his father would die. Thou saidest unto thy servant, Except your youngest brother come down with you, you shall see my face no more came to pass when we came up unto thy, thy servant, my father. We told him the words of my Lord, and our father said, Go again, buy us a little food. We said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother be with us, then we will go down, for we may not see the man's face except our youngest brother be with us. And thy servant, thy father, said unto us, You know that my wife bare me two sons, and the one went out for me, and I said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and I saw him not since. And if you take this also from me, and mischief befall him, you shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Now, therefore, when I come to thy servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life, it shall come to pass when he seeth that the lad is not with us, that he will die. And thy servant shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, If I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever." Now, therefore, I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondman unto my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father, and the lad be not with me, lest peradventure I see evil that should come on my father? Okay, now, in our last study, you remember how we saw in verse 6 how the brothers had just left the city, and when they were overtaken by the Egyptians, and their bags were searched for the governor's silver cup, which Joseph had arranged to be planted in Benjamin's sack. And there was a whole lot of drama in that scene because as the brothers in verses 7 and 8, they were so confident that none of them had stolen the cup 
As a matter of fact, they were so confident that they made a vow in verse 9 that if one of the brothers had the cup in his sack, he should die, and all the rest of the brothers would become slaves in Egypt. So the search began. It was a lot of very dramatic, from the oldest all the way down, from Reuben all the way down to the youngest, Benjamin. And with each sack that was searched and no cup was found, we can imagine the brothers they were against becoming more and more indignant for this false accusation and this delay in their trip. But in verse 12, the cup's found in Benjamin's sack. And then we can see all their confidence just fell to the floor. And instantly in verse 13, there was the sound of the tearing of all their clothes as they were there in a state of absolute shame and brokenness. And then the brothers were marched back to the governor's house. And that's where we saw Judah take this very significant role of being the new leader of the brothers in verse 14. And so the governor then, he's waiting for them in verse 15. He demands them, what's the reason why you stole the cup? And that's when we saw Judah in verse 16, now speak for all the brothers in a state of complete brokenness with a new confession, never been heard before, of an unnamed iniquity that God had found out. So in verse 16, Judah now retreats from their vow that Benjamin should die for the taking of the cup, and he accepts the steward's proposal in verse 10 that Benjamin should be a slave. But the steward had proposed in verse 10 that just Benjamin would be the slave and the rest of the brothers would go free. So now in verse 16, Judah said that they all needed to be punished because Benjamin needed to be punished because he took the cup, but the rest of the brothers also needed to be punished because there was this unnamed iniquity that God had found out. Now, of course, the governor, who's really Joseph, he knows what the unnamed iniquity is, (laughs) but they're not telling him, you know. And that was the unnamed iniquity of them selling Joseph as a slave. But Joseph doesn't disclose that to them. He doesn't disclose that he's he's really Joseph because he's just letting this whole drama play out as Judah is now confessing that he has nothing to say, no way to organize it if he had something to say, and because there's just no way to clear himself. This is all very new. And so they just can't clear themselves of either the stealing of the cup or the unnamed iniquity that God found out. But then Joseph, in verse 17, pretending that he didn't know what the unnamed iniquity was that God found out, he affirmed that only Benjamin should be a slave and that they were innocent, the rest were innocent, and so they should return in peace to Canaan. Now, when Joseph said that Benjamin would be a slave and he refused to take them all into slaves, then Joseph said to them in verse 17, God forbid that I should do so. But the man in whose hand the cup is found, he shall be my servant. And as for you, get you up in peace unto your father. So he's now pretending that he knows nothing about the unnamed iniquity that God found out. He's protesting, therefore. He's saying, no, I'm not going to make you slaves because there's no reason for me to do that because I don't know what you're talking about with this iniquity that God found out. And then Joseph tells him, just go home in peace. Go home in peace. I mean, how could they go home in peace? <laughs> I mean, you know, he knows the truth. He knows the truth in Isaiah 57.20. Isaiah 57.20 says, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. 
whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There's no peace, saith my God, to the wicked, which pretty much fills the bill for these brothers. So why? Why did Joseph protest to taking them all slaves and tell them to go back in peace? Well, we know that in part that was an, an essential component in his plan to test them to see whether they would abandon Benjamin to be a slave in Egypt. I mean, by that, he could know if they had repented of their sin when they abandoned Joseph to become a slave in Egypt. So I think that the reason he was pushing them to go and leave, because he was leading them on to explain to him what that unnamed iniquity was that God found out that needed the punishment of them all to become slaves for the rest of their lives in Egypt. Now, the scene has become very tense because the brothers are now terrified at what's going to happen to them. I mean, the question is, are they all going to become slaves for life in Egypt? As Judah is now proposing that that should happen for the punishment of the unnamed iniquity that God found out? Or will they have to return from Egypt without Benjamin and watch their father die in sorrow? So it's a very tense situation. It's terrifying. And in the midst of this terror, their leader Judah has a plan. And from verse 18, we can see his new strategy, his new plan in verse 18, which we could call, in verse 18, the Judah came near plan. That's his plan. See, these words in verse 18, they're very significant when it says in verse 18, then Judah came near unto him. So here the brothers are. They're watching in terror as Judah now steps out from among them. Can you picture that? This is group of brothers, and Judah now steps out, and they're all like, what is he doing now? And he steps out, and he comes near. He gets right in the face of the governor. And all the brothers know, boy, this is the last chance. If this fails, we're gone. This is all dependent on the Judah came near plan. And so Judah knows that nothing can be done from a distance to the governor. Nothing can be done by a sort of remote control speaking from a distance, with Judah speaking at a distance to the governor. He knows that if there's any chance of receiving mercy from the governor, it's only going to be because Judah now comes near to the government. So this is very risky, but in a very risky move, an act of boldness, Judah now steps out from the group and he comes near to the governor. And when he steps out of the group, he gets near to the government. That's a very significant picture for us because that picture of Judah stepping out from the group, the brothers coming near to the governor for mercy is a perfect picture of what every lost sinner must do to be saved by the supreme governor, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can clearly see now in verse 18 with these words, then Judah came near unto him, an illustration of what the thief on the cross did. Obviously, the thief on the cross could not move. He was nailed to a cross. But as much as he could, he just like Judah came near to the governor, he, the thief on the cross, he turns his head and gets as near as he can to the Lord Jesus on the other cross next to him when it says in Luke 23, 42, Luke 23, 42, 
He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. So verse 18 is very important. When it says, then Judah came near unto him, we can see an illustration of the invitation that Jehovah Jesus gives to all men when he says in Isaiah 118, Isaiah 118, come now. That means come near. Come now and let us reason together. The word bow, come, come, come near, come now. And let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That was going to happen. Their sins, which were as scarlet, would be white as snow if they came. If they came near. That's why later the Lord Jesus says, just like verse 18 of Judah coming near to the governor, he says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, Matthew eleven twenty-eight, come. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So what we see here in verse 18 with Judah coming near to the governor there is when we see the Jewish leaders during the Lord Jesus' time not willing to come near to the Lord Jesus. And that became the basic reason why they did not get eternal life, why they did not get life. That's what he said in John 5.40. John 5.40, it says, the Lord Jesus says, ye will not come to me that you might have life. See, it's an essential, it's a prerequisite. You have to do it. You have to come near to the Lord Jesus, just like Judah came near to the governor. And so that's what we do as believers. We come near to the Lord Jesus Christ, when it says in Hebrews 7.25, Hebrews 7.25, wherefore he's able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So this coming near is all about getting close to the Lord Jesus Christ so he can make intercession. We are, we are, uh, we, us, we are, we're Judah. We are Judah in verse 18. We're coming unto God by the Lord Jesus. And when it says in Hebrews 4.16, Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We're Judah in verse 18, coming boldly to the Lord Jesus to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we see this very significant in verse 18 when we see Judah coming near to the governor there, to Joseph, and we understand because of this why every lost sinner is invited to come near to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the invitation that the Bible is ending with in Revelation 22.17. Revelation 22.17, when the Bible ends with these words, the Spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that saith say, come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. So who do we see in that verse, Revelation twenty two seventeen? Who do we see in Revelation twenty two seventeen making this invitation for sinners to come? First, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, he says, and the Spirit says, come. That's the first. And then the bride of Christ is saying to lost sinners, come. We are that bride. We are the bride. So our invitation 
to lost sinners is not to come to a new religion. It's not to come to Christianity. It's not to come to a new set of beliefs. Our invitation to the lost is to invite the lost to do what Judah's doing here in verse 18. Come near to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. So in verse 18, when it says Judah came near to Joseph, it's very important that Joseph didn't look at Judah stepping out of the group and come say to Joseph, well, you got a lot of chutzpah. You know, get back in the group. What are you doing? How dare you step out and get close to me? Back off. And he didn't put a hand in his chest. And that's not what happened. Joseph did not do that. He did not push Judah back. But Joseph turned an ear, a welcoming ear, to Judah when he came near to Joseph. Now, that's exactly the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he does for every person, whether they're lost or saved, who, like Judah, in verse 18, comes near to the Lord Jesus for help. As he said in John 6.37, John 6.37, him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. What is he saying? No pushback from the Lord Jesus Christ to the person who draws near. Okay, now, Judah has now come near to Joseph, and now he speaks to Joseph, and what we see here in what Judah says is very significant. He says, O my Lord, let thy servant. So his first words are, O, it's not oi. <laughs> it's o. <laughs> oi is for a different set of servants. Although he could have said oi, but no. This time he's just saying o. O, and with that o, he is casting himself on Joseph in a state of desperation and complete affliction of his soul. His soul is really afflicted. It's like the day of Yom Kippur, the soul affliction. And Joseph hears Judah call him my Lord. Judah calls Joseph my Lord. And Judah then calls himself thy servant. And notice in verse 19 how Judah again calls Joseph my Lord. And how Judah calls himself and his brothers in verse 19 servants, his servants. And so you notice in verse 20 how Judah again calls Joseph my Lord. And in verse 21, Judah again calls himself and his brothers thy servants. And notice in verse 23 how Judah again calls himself and his brothers thy servants. And in verse 24, he calls his father now, Jacob, thy servant, my father. And again, in verse 27, Judah calls his father thy servant, my father. And again, in verse 30, he calls his servant, he calls his father thy servant, my father. And again, in verse 31, Judas calls himself and his brothers, thy servant, he calls his father. Again, in verse 31, thy servant, our father. And again, in verse 32 and verse 33, Judah calls himself thy servant. So that's a lot of references. That's a lot of emphasis to all coming down to, to, to them being servants to the governor, servants to Joseph. And we can see in those verses how Judah is really driving this point very strongly that they are the servants of Joseph. Judah is really driving this respect that they have, and they're all, but they're all giving to Joseph as their Lord and, and, and themselves as his servants. It's an extreme emphasis here. This is, this is emphasis to the extreme. 
of this respect and calling Joseph Lord and calling themselves his servants. And when you look at this, it's really a prophecy. It's a prophecy that's looking forward to the day when the descendants of these men, the descendants of these brothers, the Jewish people, will put them, will put, will put an extreme emphasis on respecting the Lord Jesus Christ as God and calling themselves servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, like Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 45.23. Isaiah 45.23, where God says, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. And also it's stated again in Philippians 2.10, Philippians 2.10, almost the exact words, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. That day is coming. That day is coming. And what we see Judah doing here for on behalf of the brothers in this chapter, this chapter for Genesis 44, is indicating what it will be for the Jewish people who will then lead the world in bowing the knee to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ as God, and confessing that he is God. That's why it's so significant for us to see all these references to Joseph as Lord and to the brothers and the whole family as servants to Joseph because Joseph is representing in this the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we see what Judah asked Joseph to do in verse 18. Let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ear. So Judah now is asking Joseph, he could just speak a little word in his ear. It reminds me this last uh, Monday, Labor Day, when all my family, we were together, I and my three boys, we were all sitting around the breakfast table like old times, talking about hilarious stories about when we went sailing. <laughs> there are many stories. I'm not going to tell you those stories now. Anyway, so, and David's daughter, my granddaughter, four-year-old daughter, Kate, she came up and she wanted to ask David something that she didn't want us to hear. So she looked at all of us with a frown on her face, like, what are you doing there, you know? And she comes in, she goes, Daddy, she says, I want to tell you something in your ear. <laughs> she said, in your ear. And so then David bent over and she told him, you know, <laughs> in his ear, which I don't know what it was. <laughs> That's a picture of Judah here when he says in verse 18, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ear. He's over there. Now, I don't know if the brothers heard what Judah said to Joseph, just like I don't know what Kate said in David's ear, but maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But if they didn't hear what Judah said, that didn't stop God, who made the mouth and made the ear, from capturing for us every word of what was said. So that's why we have all this in this chapter, what Judah said to Joseph. All right, so the first thing that Judah said to Joseph was in verse 18, let not thine anger burn against thy servant. So Judah's asking Joseph right off the bat, don't get mad. <laughs> don't get angry. And he does this in a way where he's emphasizing, as we've seen, this dedication of himself as a servant to Joseph. And so therefore he's asking Joseph, don't get mad. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages 
can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God Radio Bible Teacher Tom Cantor at the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for a free Creation Museum admission and amazing weekly food fellowship. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor's Sunday evening messages on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, and classes for children ages 5 to 12. So join the fellowship, the Friendship with God Fellowship, every Sunday evening at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum next to Highway 67 in Santee, California, near the Santee Drive-In. For more information, call us at 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.